Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. I was uh, looking at Revelation chapter 16, which is about the six bowls of wrath, and somehow I just thought this weekend it doesn't fit. You know what I'm saying? It's the Word of God, praise the Lord, right? We're going to move forward in that and finish out Revelation uh, probably early next year. But the point is, is what I wanted to do this morning is take a little bit of time and just walk through Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an amazing national holiday, if we could put it that way, a holy day. And there's a lot of information that uh, you can find on Wall Builders with David Barton. There's all kinds of different uh, sites that you can go to in order to check some of this stuff out. But I wanted to just share with you a little bit about Thanksgiving, and then I want to talk to you about the fact that as believers, because Christ indwells us, all of us should have hearts that are grateful. We're grateful. We're a grateful people. We're a grateful people because of what Christ has done for us, because we've been saved, we've been reconciled, we've been set aside, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ, we are now citizens of heaven, we've been given a name (laughs) in Christ. And so we're thankful, we're grateful for that. We're thankful for all that God has done, and no matter what happens in life, we know that it's been filtered through the hands of the Father for our eternal benefit. And we don't necessarily like that. And sometimes it's difficult to go through difficult circumstances with thanksgiving, but because Christ lives in us and the Holy Spirit is indwelling us, he begins to produce, as we yield to him and surrender to him, hearts that are grateful, hearts that are grateful. Christ indwells us, and as a result, we should give thanks in just a few things? No, in everything. In everything, folks. In everything. Think about that. What are you going through right now that from the world's perspective you would say this is not something worth giving thanks for? World's perspective. From God's perspective, from the word of God, because Christ indwells us as believers, we should be giving thanks, what? In everything. In everything. Let me give you a few things about thanksgiving. And maybe this will be... uh, kind of a mind tease to you to go and study it a little bit. I, over the last few years, uh, have become aware more and more of how uh, our national heritage is just under attack. Isn't that correct? And so we get all kinds of strange moments about Thanksgiving even. And in fact, uh, now the kind of skip is from Halloween right to Christmas. And Thanksgiving is getting lost in the shuffle. It's no longer seemingly being given, um, you know, the, what it should be, the, the focus that it should, because it is a thanks to God Almighty for the blessings that we have and for the privileges we have as a nation. Thanksgiving celebrations preceded the pilgrims. It's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, Coronado in 1541, 1564, the French Huguenot Protestant colonists in St. Augustine, Florida gave thanks. Or in 1598, this is obviously a long time ago, right? 1598, El Paso, Texas with Juan de Onete. 1607, Cape Henry, Virginia with the Jamestown settlers. And then 1619, Berkeley Plantation, Virginia. There's all kinds of different uh, Thanksgiving stories, if you will. It wasn't a national holiday. 
holiday. We weren't even a nation at that particular point in time. But the feast or the giving of thanks as a celebration to God Almighty is something that has uh, quite a history to it. And, and there's a lot of different people, a lot of different places where this was celebrated uh, and, and uh, for the sake of uh, God, for the sake of praising the Lord and giving thanks to God Almighty for the things that he had done. When we talk about our thanksgiving, uh, really we have a heritage and that primarily comes from the pilgrims and primarily the thanksgiving celebration in the fall of 1621. Think about that, 1621, right? Incredible. I love some of these uh, truths that are here and I'm not going through all of them. I'm just giving you a snapshot moment. We have some PowerPoints I believe that we can get up there and help uh, walk through some of these things. Uh, the pilgrims had been pushed out of England. Uh, they had gone on to Holland and then decided to come to America to start anew for the sake of religious freedom. Think about that, for religious freedom. They landed at Plymouth Rock in the fall of 1620 after two months at sea. They had been uh, traveling over the seas. The Mayflower Compact had taken place. All the different things had gone on in order for the pilgrims to come here. It was in effect miraculous that they even got here and they were able to leave and come to America. When they got here in the fall of 1620, uh, they were very ill-prepared for that winter. And they landed, they gave an immediate prayer of thanksgiving to God for bringing them safely across the sea. Uh, but then they began to hurriedly get ready for winter time. And unfortunately, their um, food supplies were very short. And as a result, through that winter, many of them died. In fact, about half of the pilgrims that made it actually passed away through that winter. In the spring, an Indian named Samoset, Remember Samoset? Visited them. And I, <laughs> I wish I could be a fly on the wall on some of these moments in history, you know, because here comes Samoset out of the wilderness. They had this horrible winter uh, where literally they uh, had gone through death with family and friends and all the different things that are going on. And Samoset comes out of the wilderness and starts talking to them in English. Now, think about that for a second, right? Uh, can you imagine the first person that met Samoset? And he began to speak to them in English, right? He had evidently been trading with some of the fishermen and trading with some of the traders from that area and had learned the English language. And so he was able to obviously communicate with the pilgrims in this. Samoset introduced the pilgrims to Squanto, who lived with the pilgrims. And then, and I love this, David Parton makes this very clear through primary sources that Squanto actually accepted the Christian faith and he lived with the pilgrims for the rest of his life. Now think about that. I don't know how many, I won't ask how many have heard that before, but that's, that's not necessarily front page news in our day and age. Amen? I mean, the guy accepted the Christian faith, lives with the pilgrims, helps the pilgrims. He and... Uh, Samoset helped to make sure that with the Wampanoag Indians, the Indians of that area, that there was a peace treaty that was long-lasting. And so God obviously used these two individuals in order to bless the pilgrims. Squanto helped teach 
uh, the pilgrims how to do all kinds of things in order to survive in the wilderness, whether it was to plant corn, whether it was what berries were correct, whether it was to hunt deer. Uh, he, he spent time with them. He taught them how to live in the wilderness. He taught them how to survive. And through that first year uh, of 1621, they actually did really well to the point where in the fall, uh, they had an abundance and as a result of that, they decided to have a three-day feast. Ninety Wampanoag Indians attended, and 50 pilgrims were there. They had shellfish, cornbread, lobster, turkey, deer, etc. Uh, games took place. They had all kinds of athletic events, um, which, by the way, is why it is absolutely essential that you watch football on Thanksgiving. <laughs> It is a heritage that we have as Americans, and there's nothing wrong with it. And for those of you who think so, God bless you. <laughs> did Stanford win yesterday? Yeah. They did win. Ah, I, I was too tired. I couldn't finish it, but I wondered about that. They also had time of prayer. They had a time of prayer. To whom? May I suggest to you that it's very evident, very clear that they were praying to God Almighty. And when they said God Almighty, they weren't praying to some uh, God in the sky that they didn't know. They were praying to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And they were thanking God, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the abundance, for the fruitfulness, for the provision of two Indians who had come alongside of them in order to help them, for the peace treaty that had taken place, for helping them get established in this new country that they had come to specifically for the sake of religious freedom. Folks, that's quite a heritage we have. America's first national Thanksgiving Day took place after the framing of the Bill of Rights on September 25th, of 1789. Different moments have taken place throughout the colonies, Thanksgiving feasts and different celebrations, but it wasn't until after the framing of the Bill of Rights on September 25th of 1789 that uh, the first national Thanksgiving Day took place. There's some slides on Elias Boudinot. He had made a, a declaration from Congress and had sent it on to George Washington in order to be approved and to be furthered. Washington agreed that certainly as a result of all that God had done in America, that there was the absolute need for a time to thank God Almighty. And in fact, what Washington states is this, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November, 1789, that we may all unite to render unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection. Amen. This official proclamation for Thanksgiving, prayer and fasting took place the presidents that preceded Washington, Washington made more of these proclamations. Adams and Madison did as well. But what's interesting is the vast majority of these proclamations came from the states themselves. In fact, in the first 25 years, in effect, of our nation, over 1,400 state proclamations regarding prayer, thanksgiving, and a request for the people to fast were given. Can you imagine that? I mean, think about where we are, folks. 
1,400 different proclamations requesting that the people pray and give thanks to God Almighty and to take time to fast and ask for God's blessings for his leadership. Lincoln, in 1863, during the Civil War, established the last Thursday of that particular November as a national day of thanksgiving. Now, according to Barton, this is what happened. He made this thanksgiving proclamation three months after he had been to Gettysburg and had given his famous speech. What's not widely known is that Lincoln stated about his time at Gettysburg. Later, he recorded to a clergyman, which for those of you, it's a pastor, (laughs) after his Gettysburg experience, and this is what he actually stated. When I left Springfield, Illinois to assume the presidency, I asked the people to pray for me. I was not a Christian. When I buried my son, the severest trial of my life, I was not a Christian. But when I went to Gettysburg and saw the graves of thousands of our soldiers, I then and there consecrated myself to Christ. Yes, I do love Jesus. When's the last time you heard that quote from Lincoln? Folks, we have such a wonderful heritage in our nation Lincoln's proclamation about thanksgiving uh, very well may have been influenced by his coming to know Christ and uh, giving his life to the Lord after being at Gettysburg. Clearly, some of the statements that he made in terms of being reelected, you realize that that was during the first three years of the Civil War, which for the Union was one of the most devastating times of the war. And yet he made a proclamation of thanksgiving for all the blessings that God had bestowed upon our nation. Incredible. Thanksgiving was celebrated each year after this, but it was uh, not until 1933 that Franklin Roosevelt, President Franklin Roosevelt, celebrated Thanksgiving Day on the fourth Thursday in November. And it was shortly after that where Congress in 1941 established the fourth Thursday of November permanently as a national holiday that we call Thanksgiving. Folks, we have an amazing heritage in this nation. We really do. And we look back and look at the men and the women uh, who God used in order to help bring about this country, this nation. We certainly have a lot to be grateful for. And I think the question ultimately becomes, how are we walking in gratitude? How are we walking in thanksgiving, thankfulness? How's that being seen through our lives, in our speech, in our conduct, in our relationships, in everything that we go through? How is it that God is leading us and deepening us and we are giving thanks? Because as believers, Christ does indwell us and as a result, we should be giving thanks to him in everything. Let me give you several different issues in terms of uh, giving thanks. How do believers give thanks? Well, clearly it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something God in us 
begins to produce. And when we yield to the Lord Jesus Christ, then Christ himself begins to cultivate, to create a heart of thankfulness. In fact, it's interesting because in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, in that whole section, that whole passage in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 36, where Paul is dealing with unbelievers, one of the things he says about unbelievers is even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or do what? Give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. See, one of the signs of an unbeliever is somebody who doesn't give thanks. Therefore, one of the signs of a believer is somebody who gives thanks. That Christ lives in us. And as a result, we recognize, we see things through his eyes. Our minds are being renewed by the word of God. And we're constantly looking at life through his eyeglasses, if you will. And we recognize that even though it may be difficult, even though it may be tough, and even though it may not be good, we know that God will bring good out of it. And we know that God has our best in mind and is conforming us to his image for eternity. And as a result, there's joy. There's a giving of thanks, even in the midst of really, really difficult things. Because we know God. And because God lives in us. And because God is constantly at work producing through us what he himself is. Five things, briefly this morning, on how we give thanks and why do we give thanks? The first is, well, obviously we're forgiven. <laughs> we're forgiven. The second is we walk in freedom. We walk in freedom. Thirdly, we have a new family. We have a new family. Fourth, we have a present focus. We have a purpose. We have a focus in life and we understand what life is all about and why are we here and what are we supposed to be doing and how are we supposed to live and what does God have for us? And lastly, praise the Lord, we have a secure future. Amen? We know where we're headed. We're forgiven. It's by God's grace, and it's not because of anything we've done, but heaven is a promised thing for each and every one who are true believers, who are placing their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, we're forgiven. I'm going to give you a bunch of scripture passages, and just take your time and get there, and if I get ahead of you... If you need my notes, just let me know. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, meaning in Christ, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of what? Our works? No, his grace. In other words, it's unmerited, it's undeserved, it's not something that can be earned, and it's not something that can be paid back. We are forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Lord makes the promise to us that we will be saved. And that salvation deals with the issue of being forgiven. Our sin is forgiven. Oh, that's a beautiful truth, isn't it? I mean, if there's one thing this morning that our hearts ought to overflow with gratitude towards God in, it's the, the fact that God has forgiven us in Christ. And when we believe in him, we can receive that great gift and be reconciled to the Father through the Son, not on our own merit. Not because we deserve it, but because what he did for us freely, what he's offered to us. You know, if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ personally, if you've never received him, you haven't believed in him, I want to encourage you in something, that the Lord Jesus Christ knows you, that he loves you, that he went to the cross so that you could be saved. 
And the reality of it is that happens when you believe in him, when you receive from him the gift that he offers. As believers, we have the privilege of walking in that. Paul goes on in Ephesians and he, in effect, indicates this. Because we've been forgiven, how then shall we live? Shouldn't we be forgiving of others? Ephesians 4.32, he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So believers are indwelt by Christ, and one of the reasons that we are grateful and we can walk with joy in the midst of life, no matter what the circumstances may be, is because we know that in Christ, by grace, when we believe in him, we've been forgiven, and as a result, Christ is in us. Christ lives his life in and through us, and as a result of that, we can begin to forgive one another, and praise God for that. What a beautiful truth. What a wonderful opportunity, because folks, I want to tell you something. That's not the way the world does it. The world keeps lists. The world is constantly uh, keeping tabs on how many times they've been wronged and they want payback for it, (laughs) right? Isn't that what our flesh does? That's exactly what our flesh does. Come on, you all don't have to nod your head. I know you do it too. So the point of the matter is in the midst of it, we thank God that he lives within us, that we've been forgiven. And as a result of that, because Christ lives within us and by his grace, we now have the opportunity and the privilege of forgiving one another. And as a result of that, we give glory to God. People who don't know Christ, people who don't have hope, people who haven't been forgiven, people who are still lost in their sin, they have no future to look forward to. They have an opportunity to look at a body of believers that forgives one another, and they realize that that's not from this world, that's from God himself. And it begins to be a testimony of the body to the community with regard to the greatness of God. Well, not only are we forgiven, but we get to walk in freedom. See, I I love Galatians chapter five, verse one. He says it was for freedom, Paul writes, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, what is he talking about? Well, in this particular passage, what he's writing to the Galatian believers about is that they had placed themselves back up under law. And when you think about law, think about performance. They had placed themselves back up under the very system that was designed in order to reveal to each and every one of us our need of Christ himself. And so they were futile. They were walking as, in effect, mere men. They were walking in a way where they were trying to accomplish the good things of God, but they weren't yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, the Holy Spirit within them was not producing the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. As a result, they were fighting with one another. They were constantly at war with one another and all the rest. In other words, they weren't free. So you can be free even though you're a slave. You can be in the midst of circumstances that are very difficult and feel as though you're a slave. You can be bound by certain things within this world system, but because you're in Christ and you've been set free, you've been forgiven, you can walk in that freedom because you're no longer under a performance to try to accomplish the good things of God because Christ lives in you in order to accomplish them. How many people are constantly placing themselves up under a performance, trying to be something 
that they can't be. And actually, that by placing themselves up under the law again, they reveal to everybody else, maybe not themselves, but they reveal to everybody else what they're actually not. Believers, we can do this as well. We can do this as well. We need Christ. And one of the reasons we're so grateful is because God has freed us from performance. He's freed us from under the curse of the law. He became a curse for us. He went to the cross for us. He paid for us so that when we believe in him, he comes to live within us. And now he begins to accomplish this through us. When does that happen? When we walk by faith, when we say yes to him, when we believe and learn to yield our lives to him. When we surrender to him, there's all kinds of different ways of putting this. When we learn to die to self, and we begin to walk and appropriate what we have in Christ Jesus. We're no longer under a performance. We get to experience the love of Christ in and through our lives. Paul makes it very clear. The deeds of the flesh are obvious, and he gives a whole list of this. But he says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so believers, we, if we're not walking by faith, are going to walk by the flesh. We're going to place ourselves back up under a yoke of slavery, which is the law, which is performance, rather than simply yielding to Christ and experiencing him day by day, moment by moment, and as a result, God working in and through us in order to accomplish something through us that we could never accomplish on our own. So we're thankful because we're forgiven, and certainly we now have the privilege of walking in freedom. Another reason we're thankful is we've been called into a family, a new family. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, he talks about Gentiles being now made fellow members of the body. He says to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful truth this is. We've been made fellow heirs. We are now fellow members of the body of believers It's not just for the Jews, it's also now for the Gentiles, and all of it is by faith in Christ Jesus. And in Ephesians, Paul makes it very clear, we are one new body. There's no longer Jew, there's no longer Gentile. In Christ, we are one. The barrier of the dividing wall in the temple has been knocked down. Why? Because Christ went to the cross, shed his blood, so that all who believe in him, whether Jew or Gentile, are now one new creation in Christ Jesus. And the church, the family, of God, which he's the head of, has now been given birth. What a beautiful truth. Folks, you may have come from a dysfunctional family, and thank God that we've been taken out of the dysfunctional family of Adam and placed into the functional family of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And what a beautiful picture that is. We see families struggling all through our culture. And I would just encourage you, I don't think there's any family, mine included, that doesn't struggle with some dysfunction, that has some sin in the midst of it. But it's very obvious that in Christ, we've been taken out of that dysfunctional line of Adam and placed into the functional body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how does the body of Christ begin to function correctly? When all the members begin to yield 
to the Lord Jesus Christ and say yes to the Lord and begin to experience the Holy Spirit within our lives and the Holy Spirit begins to lead us and to guide us and to direct us and we become a body that is bound together and that is functional because it's empowered by Christ himself. That's something to be thankful for. It's something to praise God for. I love Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 and 15, where he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, in that passage, he's not talking about all the families of earth. He's talking about believers. All families, all believers have a name because of Christ and what Christ has done for us. Well, not only do we have a new family, but we also have a present focus. A present focus. And I would encourage you in this, there's all kinds of different ways to, to go about this. What's our purpose? Well, it's to glorify the Lord, no question. That's why we're created to bring glory to God. And when we say that, what we mean is that people, when they see our lives, would recognize Christ, God, in us. They recognize his love, they recognize his goodness, they recognize his patience and all the rest of who God is. And they give glory to God as a result of it, not to us, because they recognize that it's God empowering us. There's all kinds of different ways to view the idea of what our present focus is. But I would suggest in so many ways when it comes to the activity of believers, when it comes to the normal functioning of believers, certainly part of it, a main part of it, is Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. And that is simply to make disciples. Make disciples. Right? The Lord says, go therefore make all disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You don't do this by yourself. You don't do this on your own. You don't do this because God commanded it out of your own strength or power. You do it because God said to do it, but you do it in his strength and in his power because it's his work. But it takes us yielding to him to say yes to him, to experience him. And if we're truly yielded to him, guess what? He's gonna lead us to make disciples. And I really believe it comes in two parts. It's baptizing them and teaching them. Baptizing them meaning there's a point where somebody needs to become a believer. They need to have the gospel shared with them. They may not be believers, they're unbelievers, they're lost. And so some are called primarily to take the gospel to the lost. And as you yield to Christ and as you say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ and God begins to do a work in you and you begin to learn to walk with him by faith and follow him, then you will find that God is leading you to unbeliever after unbeliever after unbeliever and you're sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel. Amen. All of us ought to be doing that at some level. There's no question about that. It's inarguable. The question is then, how are we teaching them? How are we equipping them? If somebody comes to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and they're baptized, identifying on the exterior what God has done on the interior, how then are we equipping them to walk with God, to hear from God, to walk by faith, to experience the Lord? And in the midst of it, part of that begins to help them recognize that they also have been given the ministry of reconciliation. They have a testimony and to share it, <laughs> to tell others, this is what God's done in my life. 
We do it in God's time. We do it in his power. But we do it. Why? Because God said to, and God, when he lives in us and we're yielded to him, will lead us to that. Different times, different uh, levels, whatever. But it's going to happen. Folks, I think we have a purpose. We have a present focus. And ultimately, it is to proclaim the gospel. And that's not only for unbelievers. Most of the time when we say to proclaim the gospel, we think about that for just unbelievers. Folks, it's for believers as well. And I think that's essential to understand. For believers, it's to help each believer grow in Christ. For unbelievers, it's to hear the good news that forgiveness of sins is available through Jesus Christ by grace through faith. As you have received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. (laughs) That's the gospel message for believers. You received him by grace, right? It's by faith. Now how as a believer am I to walk with the Lord? By grace through faith. And folks, we need to hear that over and over and over again because our flesh, as well as the world system, as well as the devil, there are three enemies, will constantly drive us to our own performance, to our own way of doing things, rather than yielding to the Lord, following him, walking with him, being renewed by him, having our hearts surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a present focus Well, lastly, we also have a secure future. And I thank God for this. You know, I think about my father-in-law being in heaven. I think about my dad. I don't know the timing of that. I know there's others uh, that are facing uh, family members going home. Some of you have had that happen recently. Some of you are about to have that happen. Boy, heaven's a wonderful truth, isn't it? It's not just a figment of our imagination. It's not just a wish. It's a certain fact. When we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord gives us a promise, right? You know John 3, 16, well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. And we know that everlasting life is the life of Christ because in John 17, he makes that very clear that his life is the gift, because his life is eternal life. Well, we're talking about heaven, but we're talking about eternal life. We're not just talking about a place, we're talking about the existence within that place. And what a beautiful truth. Folks, can you imagine never having to struggle with sin again? Man, isn't that an amazing truth? Now, I know you don't struggle with sin. I'm not trying to accuse, and I'm not pointing fingers at you, right? But the point of the matter is, can you imagine Never struggling with sin. Never struggling about how do I follow God? What is God actually saying? Am I hearing from him clearly and correctly? Never having to worry about that. Never having that even be a thought on the brain. It's incredible, isn't it? Heaven's going to be an amazing place. We've been given eternal life. But part of the hope that we have, the certain fact of our future, the security of that future is we're also going to have a heavenly body. 1 Corinthians 15, 49 says, just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of what? The heavenly. Oh, praise God for that. Amen? All right, anybody get tired? Huh? Any aches and pains lately? I got up out of my chair a couple of weeks ago and I thought my hip was about to fall off. I thought, what in the world happened here? And I immediately thought about heaven and I thought, praise God, that ain't ever gonna happen in heaven. <laughs> that's, a, that's a praise the Lord moment. 
Not only that, but we also have been promised, based on our faithfulness to the Lord, dying to self, yielding to him, reward. 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8, Paul says this. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What a beautiful truth. Folks, walk with God, walk with God, walk with God. Christ indwells us, and as a result, every one of us who are true believers in Christ indwells, we ought to be giving thanks to God in everything. Let me leave you with this passage in Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 and following. Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be what? Thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with what? Thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, doing what? Giving thanks through him to God the Father. Christ lives in us, Christ indwells us, and as a result, all believers ought to be giving thanks all the time, all the time. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 